Praise the Lord. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. What a promise. So if we push past our tiredness and ourself and we worship him, he said, I will draw all men unto me. So that means people that are visiting, people that don't know what we know, people that are learning. The promise is that if we who know will worship, he will say, come on, today's your day. You want to have good altar calls? That's the key. Today's your day. He'll begin to draw. Because no man comes unless he draws them. You know, we want to exalt personalities and ministries and, oh, I love to hear him and he's the best and she's good and I don't like that one and we want to do that. But it doesn't matter what's prepared and how it's delivered. It's the word itself that's anointed. It breaks the yokes. And you can deliver the greatest message ever with hours and hours of study and preparation. And if he doesn't say, come to me, there won't be results. Boy, that takes a load off my shoulders today. Oh, I love you and I'm so glad to be back with you once again. It's been over a year and my, how you have grown. And we're rejoicing with you about that. Why don't you sit down and rest just a second? Because I have to say just a few things that are very important before I get into the word. Pastor and Sister Jared Kimmis, thank you for not only allowing us this opportunity, but they took us into their home yesterday. We had some unexpected turmoil with hotels, etc., because of this big lacrosse deal that's in town. And in the spur of a moment, last minute, after coming home from camp with three children, They smiled, and you would have never known that there was a hiccup. And I'll tell you, the greatest part of all that, spending time with them, with their children, was wonderful. But I want to tell you that I woke up to the most joyous, wonderful sound. I really wake up to this sound every morning because my husband is a man of prayer and a man given to the Word. And I wake up hearing him pray calling out the names of our children and my name, and I hear him praying. And he's taking a little rest today because the Lord is working on a healing for him, and he's having some heart problems. But I'm believing the Lord is going to do a complete work. We are here by faith. He had a heart catheterization last Friday and has been fighting uh, AFib, needs a pacemaker probably. But we know the pacemaker, (laughs) the one that created the heart. And so we're believing that there was a divine healing and miracle this morning. So he's resting a little. But I didn't lose my train of thought. I woke up hearing your pastor, this man of God, Brother Jared, praying this morning. If I were in the hotel, I wouldn't have gotten to hear him calling out your names and praying. Everyone needs a pastor that calls out their names. And he didn't, he didn't pay me or tell me to say that. Matter of fact, he's embarrassed his head's down. He would rather me not. But I really feel like that you need to know that. You, you really do. Wonderful people. And Bishop and Sister Mark and Jordan Brown, my friends, 
I love these people. They're the real deal. You know them better than I, but in my short time, three or four years now of knowing them, and I've known Brother Mark's brother for a number of years. What a great family. And leading this state into end-time revival. That's what's happening. Oh, it's been promised. I was sitting over there today and listening to this great Sunday school lesson message. And the Lord said to me, I wrote it down, revival is coming to South Dakota. End time revival is coming to Watertown. An outpouring of the Holy Ghost is coming to Watertown. It is coming to South Dakota. Take your discouragement, take your fear, take your doubt, your preconceived ideas of how that's going to happen and put it in the secret place with God and leave it there because it is going to happen before your eyes. In a moment that you're not expecting it, they're going to start walking in the doors. It's going to happen in every city that God has targeted for end time revival in this state. It's a reminder. You've heard the prophecies. This is a reminder today. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't try to figure it out. Because God's going to do it. Stand to your feet and turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. It is my great delight to have my baby daughter, Rachel, her husband, Miguel, Gabby, Vanessa, Giselle, and Nico. See how that just rolls off my tongue? My four beautiful grands with us today. They love the Lord and they've joined us for service today. And I'm just so thankful. Matthew chapter 6. Now I don't usually read this many verses, but I'm going to today if you'll stay with me. Because it's conclusive and it's needed. In my Bible there is a little subtitle and it says teaching on worry. Anybody in here ever worry? Lift your hand if you ever worry. Oh, you're all human. You're, you're not divine yet. <laughs> Raise your hand if you have a particular worry right now, something that you're worrying about. Wow. Just, just about everybody that understands the definition of the word. Okay, so let's see what the Lord says. This is in red letters. It means Jesus said it. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Why take ye thought for raiment? Consider not the lilies of the field, how they grow. They dwell not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, tomorrow's cast into the oven... Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? 
For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. For you're hearing today this message that the Lord gave me. My dad will take care of it. You may be seated. My dad will take care of it. We don't have to worry about anything if we are a child of God. But yet we all raised our hands and said we are worrying. We have a worry. We're bothered by something. So maybe we needed a reminder today that if you're seeking him first, you're putting him first in your life, he's going to take care of you. I like to say it this way. If I take care of God's business, he'll take care of my business. Amen? I found it to be so. There is a scripture on over in Matthew that is also so interesting about how the Lord takes care of us. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows." Two little tiny sparrows, little birds, are sold for a fourth of a penny. That's a farthing. A quarter of a penny. And we know how little birds fall and and reproduce and fly and, and we find them on the doorstep and so on. But the Lord sees every one of them that dies. How much more is he going to take care of? Of and love you. Father's Day is coming. And I want to speak to that for a second because all of us have a concept of dad. And on Father's Day, a lot of times we are rejoicing in dads and we are thanking the Lord for dads. But I don't like to ignore the fact on Father's Day or Mother's Day that there are people that just that word is a bad taste in their mouth. There are people that won't come to church on those holidays because they had a dad that did not know how to be a good dad or a mom that didn't know how to be a good mom. And our idea of God comes out of our relationship with our earthly father. And oftentimes, those of us who have bad memories, an abusive father, a neglective father, or a a father that, you know, checked out or or whatever, uh, oftentimes we look at our heavenly father expecting him at any moment to check out, expecting him to disappear or to be abusive or or not to be kind and caring. And and I want to speak to that very quickly before I move on, that this is just not so. And you will do yourself 
yourself a favor if you will forgive your earthly father and move forward knowing I've got a heavenly father that loves me and he's a good dad. The very hairs of my head are numbered. He loves me unconditionally all day long. He's always fair and just and faithful and he will provide. It is so wonderful to know that when we have dysfunction in our family, there is not dysfunction in the body of Christ as far as our relationship with the Almighty. He's not dysfunctional in any way. Hallelujah. Second Corinthians 6.18 says, And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Almighty. You have a father today. It doesn't matter where you go or, 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 or what you do. He's your father. He loves you unconditionally. He's not here to take from you. He's here to give to you. Hallelujah. We're not to worry or fear to be afraid. Don't be afraid, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's his good pleasure. He's not just trying to trick you out of it and hope, hoping you'll fall down and hoping you won't make it to heaven and, and there with a lightning bolt when you mess up and, and, and angry with you. God's not ever mad at you. Isn't that cool? People get mad at us, but God never gets mad at you. He's forgiving and loving. And he wants you to understand that you don't have to fear. Fear is a big thing. The Bible says men's hearts are failing them for fear. Lots of people go in the hospital because they have chest pain and arm pain and, and, and short of breath and, and, and all of these things. And they get in there and they run all these tests and they say, Sir, ma'am, your heart is in great shape. This is anxiety. Manifests itself just like a heart attack. Anxiety. Men's hearts failing them for fear. People are fearful. What's going to happen in the government? The war that's going on. Is it going to come here? What's going to happen in in the hierarchy? Uh, Are are we going to lose all of our money in the bank? Are are they going to take our house away? You know, are we going to be able to make the gas prices? Are we going to be able to go to work? Or is it going to keep going up and up? All the things that press in on our minds. Sure, you got some worries. Some of you have financial worries. Some of you are, are burdened with sickness. Some of you fear tomorrow, but I'm, I'm here to tell you good news. He's got us. You don't have to worry about what's happening around you in the world. Get your eyes off the world and off the news and off the media and get your eyes on Jesus. He's coming. He's coming back for those who are watching for his appearing. We're supposed to be looking at the sky and saying, hey, he's coming. Everybody get in, get ready because he's coming. That's our job right now. Don't worry about what's going on around you. You don't have to fear because he said he'd never see the righteous forsaken or his seed out begging bread. He's going to take care of his church. Hallelujah. I wish I could tell you that it's going to get better. It's not. Oh, well, the next, the next president, the next governor, the next this. Oh, no. The Lord takes the kings up and he sets them down. Whoever's in there who is who he put in for this end time. So quit murmuring and complaining about what's going on. Just quit keeping track of it. Keep track of what's in the word. Start getting into what's happening all around us. The prophecies are being fulfilled. Jesus is coming. We've got to get bold and brave enough to just go out everywhere we go. And when we're checking out at Walmart, say, hey, before I leave, I just want to let you know, Jesus is coming. 
Here, here, here's some Acts 2, 38. You know, they got those nice tracks. You can order that, say Acts, book of Acts on it. And you open up, it's a little tiny Bible study. And, and it's got your church stamp on there. Here, if, if you're interested in knowing how to get ready, just want to let you know Jesus is coming. Oh, well, well they'll, they'll think we're crazy. Sure, we are crazy. We're supposed to be crazy. That's the problem. The church is not as crazy as it's supposed to be. They came out of that upper room and they were so so drunk on the Holy Ghost talking in tongues and, and, and staggering around. The people said, what's wrong with those people? Are they drunk? That gave a platform. For the word of God to go forward. You wonder why they had 3,000 added to the church? It was because they went out of there telling everybody. They didn't care what anybody thought. They told everybody everywhere they went that there is a promise here. I want to tell you about the promise. I want to tell you what we received. We're not as drunk as we're supposed to be. You need to get the Holy Ghost all over again and run these aisles and shout and talk in tongues until you can't stand up and then walk outside into a world and, and let them see something different about you and begin to tell everybody you see about Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, dad will, dad will take care of it when they rise up against you, when they speak falsely about you. We heard it in the, in the Bible lesson today. If you missed that Bible lesson, you missed it because it talked about how the devil's going to come against us and how he does come against us. But every weapon that is formed will not prosper. That's the word of God. People are supposed to be talking about us. Oh, they're, the Bible says we're peculiar people. Peculiar. He cares cares about the lost. The Lord cares about everything in your life. He's concerned about what you're concerned about. Oh yes, if you love your pet, the Lord is concerned about your pet. Just ask my, my daughter who has a little fat chihuahua that should have been dead five or six times. They brought that dog to me. He's bleeding out, wrapped in a towel, eyes rolling back in his head, his breathing shallow. And I said, Lord... They love this little dog, and it's just not time for them to let go of him yet. So I speak healing into this little dog. You did that? Yes, because he cares. I've lived long enough at 60 years to know that he cares. He cares about everything we care about. If you could just see his great love for you, you wouldn't run out the doors. You'd run this way. You'd want to be wrapped up in his arms one more time. You'd want him to touch you one more time today. If you knew how much... He loves you. Hallelujah. Oh, they call me a half an hour later and the little dog's running around the house like he's a puppy. Because <laughs> he cares. He cares. I had my first baby, my Sarah, and I was a new mom. And it's very scary to give birth. Oh, it hurts real bad. <laughs> And I said in the nursery, you know, I was on nursery duty some. And I sat with all those older women in their 30s. <laughs> Couldn't wait to tell their horror stories. Oh, let me tell you what happened to me. My eyes are big. I was horrified. I was terrified. I, would, I actually prayed for Jesus to come before he gave birth. That's how scared I was. I was scared out of my wits. And then when you tried to confide in somebody... Well, I'm a, I'm a little scared. I know it's going to hurt. And, you know, that's Eve's fault. I want to talk to her when we get to heaven. 
And I, I would, you know, try to confide in another human. And the answers you got were things like, well, look around you. Everybody got here that way. It couldn't be that bad. Oh, believe me, it's that bad. <laughs> and I had a very easy labor and delivery. No medication, four hours. I mean, very easy. And I delivered my beautiful Sarah. It was 4 o'clock in the morning. And it was back in the day where they came and got your baby and whisked them away. They found out how traumatic that is. And they don't do that anymore. But they did then. We're going to weigh her and test her and clean her and all that. And then we'll bring her back later. And I'm laying in the darkness of that room. And everybody left. And it's 4 o'clock in the morning. And, and fear. I fought fear all my life. Fear, the spirit of fear. What is the spirit? It's irrational fear. Spirit of fear came in that room. They're not bringing her back. Something's wrong with her. They're not bringing her back because they're, they're going to come and tell you the bad news. It, it's taking them a long time because something's wrong with your baby. I'm sitting in that dark room and the tears are rolling down my cheeks. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm scared out of my wits. You know, before I'm afraid to give birth. Now that's over. Now I'm afraid something's wrong with her. That's how the devil is. He'll, he'll let you exchange fear for fear, worry for worry. You'll be in a continual state of distraction and confusion if you give in to the spirit of fear. No, you've got to bind that thing in your life. The the best way to bind it is to call out on that only name, the name of Jesus. I laid in the darkness of that room and I had learned one thing. I had learned that if I would just say Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> I was weeping, Jesus, I'm so scared, Jesus. The door eased open. And walked a little old lady, all dressed in white nurse's uniform, her hair white and a little bun. And she walked over to my bed and she, she had a washcloth. She, she took it to the sink and ran the warm water, got it real hot. She wrung that out. She walked over to my bed and, and she washed my face. And, and she washed down my arms and my hands, that hot washcloth. And she said, baby, I came to tell you that everything is all right. Your baby is fine. Everything is okay. Hush now, honey. Get some rest. Your body needs rest. And that's the last thing I remember. My eyes closed. And, and, and then the lights all came on. And there's a squalling baby that's hungry. And she's pink and beautiful. And they come pushing in a little thing. And here's your Sarah. She, she's beautiful. She's perfect. And, and they laid her in my arms. And all is right with the world. And, and, and I said, oh, ma'am, before you leave, can I... I ask you a question. There was a little old, older lady, a nurse that came in a little after four o'clock and, and that washcloth, it was still hanging there. I said, that washcloth's hanging over there on the spigot. She got that warm and she washed my face and hands and told me my baby was going to be all right. And, and I said, could you get her for me? Could you tell me her name? That lady looked at me. She said, well, we haven't given you any meds. She said, we don't have little old ladies that wash around, walk around with washcloths washing people's faces. Sure, we don't, we're peculiar. I, I'm his girl and I needed an angel. 
I'm talking about a heavenly father that you'll entertain some angels unawares. You won't even realize who is in your presence. That's how much he loves you. He's got you. He's going to take care of you. He's never going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to walk out on you. He's going to be that father that you've always needed. The answer's on the way. But some of you have not learned to say, Jesus, Jesus. When you can't do anything else, you can't pray. You're too burdened. You don't know what else to do. Just call that name. Hallelujah. I had a wonderful dad. My dad came to the Lord. I told you the story before when I was here, when I was nine. And my dad was the best dad in the world. After that, the alcohol went down the drain and he stopped screaming at my mom and using bad words. See, when you get the Holy Ghost and you're baptized in Jesus' name, you change. You don't stay the same. If you're staying the same, it's because you're not praying. You're not reading the word. You're not being faithful. It's supposed to change us. I watched my dad change. My dad was a wonderful dad, but my dad worked two jobs to provide for our family. It was back in the day when moms stayed home and dads worked, and so we didn't see dad a lot. It was special when dad was around. My dad felt like his working two jobs was enough to let us know how much he loved us. He wasn't a very verbal romantic kind of guy. I never saw my dad kiss my mom until way late in life when they were in their 70s. My dad was really nearing nearing heaven at that point and I saw them kiss. My dad didn't say I love you very often. I'm, I'm thankful for families that show love. You need to show your children love. Tell them you love them. Words of affirmation. Not, not putting down, not, not angry words, but loving words. Because your home sets the stage for their future walk with God. A good father creates peace in the home. He said, my peace I leave with you. He's peaceful. God is peaceful. So if your home's not peaceful, there's confusion because you have to be right all the time, whether you're mom or dad. you got to be right all the time. And you do it because I said you're going to do it. And there's all this contention. That's not peace. You're not showing them Jesus. That was just free. I just threw that in there. My dad would come in and give us all hugs and put us to bed. And that's we didn't see dad a lot. But one special holiday, Valentine's Day, Dad must have gotten a little extra money. Money was always tight. Because Dad came in with a shopping bag, and he threw it up on the table and opened that shopping bag out, open and and got out, much to my delight, four boxes of chocolates. I, I never had a box of chocolates. I was six years old and I was the baby and I, I'd never had a box of chocolates. I, I'd never seen a whole box of chocolates. The chocolate that I was familiar with was a Hershey bar. You know that you break off the little squares? And dad would come home from his second job working at a gas station where he ran a wrecker. 
till midnight every night. And he would sometimes bring home a bottle of Pepsi and one Hershey bar. And he would break off the pieces of that Hershey bar and hand them out to me and my two sisters and mom. And so it, we didn't get much. You got one or two squares. And then we all got one drink from that bottle of cold pop. And I remember I, I got to go first because I was a baby. And I would get hit in the back of the head. Because when you were guzzling, you're only allowed to take one drink. And, and I was doing my very best to get, to get as big a drink as I could. So you get hit in the back of the head. You know, that's it. That's it. That's all. I mean, boy, times have changed, haven't they? But I knew enough to know about Hershey's chocolate that I loved chocolate. Oh, man. And I saw those boxes of chocolate. I knew what they were. And my dad tossed one to my mom. Happy Valentine's Day. He tossed one to my sisters each and then mine. Happy Valentine's Day. He was so proud he was able to do that. Almost embarrassed. I grabbed my box of chocolates. Thanks, Dad. Thanks. I ran to my room. Thanks, Dad. Oh, this is the best day of my life. This is better than Christmas. I climbed up in the middle of my bed. I had shut the bedroom door, and, and I, I started pulling on that wrapper already. I, I mean, I, I knew what had to happen. See, I had to eat as many of them as I could before they got there because they were going to realize I was gone with it, and they were going to come take it away. So I opened my first box. It was actually a Whitman's sampler. That lovely piece of paper. Can you smell it? And I looked in there and I saw all of those chocolates. And I couldn't believe my eyes. This is mine. This is all mine. My dad bought it for me. And, and I, I, I can hardly wait. And I know I'm going to eat at least three real quick before they come and take it away. And, and so I reach in there and, and I get one little round one out. And, and my little hand is shaking. This is the best day of my life. My, my dad got me chocolates. And, and I am so excited. And, and I pop that whole thing in my mouth. And Hershey's chocolate. Yes, Hershey's. And I get all of it. And I'm chewing and I'm chewing. And, and all of a sudden I realize... This is, not a, this is not a square of Hershey's chocolate. Somebody put orange bumpy stuff inside of here. It was the most disgusting thing I had ever eaten. And, I, and I'm chewing and chewing and it's not going away. And it's orange and it's got lumps in it. And, and, I, and I'm so upset and I'm so disappointed. And all of a sudden the tears come and the tears are rolling down my cheeks and I'm crying and crying. And I didn't spit it out because there are starving children in Ethiopia. <laughs> so even when we were alone, we didn't spit stuff out. Now kids just refuse stuff. Oh, not at my house. Even with no one watching, I just kept chewing and chewing. I knew I had to swallow it. I am so upset because I thought it was one thing and it turned out to be another. 
disappointment. There's a lot of that in life. You expected one thing and you got another. You expected that job to work out and it didn't. You expected the person that walked down the aisle and said, I'll love you forever, not to betray you. You expected your child to turn out this way and they didn't. You expected that and it didn't happen. The deal fell through. You expected for God to heal. And this particular time he said no. Oh, well, that, that's when he ceases being good, right? Because the chocolates are great. And as long as dad's giving me chocolates, he's good. But then when I happen to find orange bumpy stuff, something that isn't good, that doesn't set well, then all of a sudden God's not good. I'm talking to somebody today that it's time for you to realize who your father is and stop murmuring and complaining when it doesn't turn out the way you think it should because God's always got a plan. Oh, he always has a plan. I'm sitting in the middle of my bed with my chocolates and I'm crying and crying and sobbing. And my dad comes because he's so happy that he blessed his wife and girls with their first Valentine. (laughs) He opens that door. He knocks and turns that doorknob and opens that door. And he's got a big smile on his face. He's expecting me to run into his arms. Thank you, daddy. Can you thank him in the good times and in the bad? A mature Christian walking with God says, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. You can't threaten me with heaven. So if this sickness takes me out, I'm going to step over on the streets of gold. So I'm not worried about sickness and death because everybody's got an appointment with death. And if my child isn't walking with God, I know he or she will because I'm the one that's going to stand in faith and not wavering and believe that they're coming back. And I'm not going to look to the left or the right. I'm going to look up and say, Lord, I trust you because if I take care of your business, you'll take care of mine. Oh, hallelujah. I'm telling you, it pays off. (laughs) He responds to people. Who prays in the dark times when you don't understand. Oh, he's smiling. He opens that door. And when he opens the door, he changes from this to. Because there I sit. Sobbing and crying over a box of chocolates. (laughs) He sat down on the bed and he grabbed me up in his arms. He's wiping my tears. He took out his handkerchief and he blew my nose in his handkerchief and wiped my tears and brought me up. I'm painting a picture for you. What's the matter? You know, you have a choice about that time to say, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk to you. I'm mad at you. Let me tell you, that's a wrong way to go with God. Oh, yeah. You won't ever get an answer that way. The devil's got you right where he wants you when you do that. Daddy, I'm so sad, Dad. I thought it was good chocolate and it's not. It's got orange bumpy stuff in it and I hate orange bumpy stuff. Daddy, I wanted it to be like Hershey's real good and it's not. 
You know how dramatic girls are. Oh, I'm having the meltdown over the chocolate. And my dad gets a look on his face. I'm six years old. I've never seen this look before. When I saw this look on dad's face, it made me mad. Because dad's smiling. But he's not just smiling. He's smiling with a look that says, I know something you don't know. It's called a smirk. You ever have anybody smirk at you? Oh, that's awful when people smirk. Because you want to know what they know. They're smiling because there's an end to the story. They're smiling because there's a reason why that happened. They're smiling because they know the end. My dad was smiling because he knew something I did not know. He gathered me up in his arms and he said, listen to me, baby. You think that every chocolate in that box is orange cream and nuts, don't you? Boy. Yes. He said, but they're not. They're not? No. You just happened to pick out one that had orange cream and nuts. But that box is full of good things. Peanut butter and fudge and caramel and toffee and and solid chocolate and all the things you love. Why is it that we get focused on one thing in life, one bad patch, one thing that happened to us, and we put up a wall? You know, the Lord didn't answer then. The Lord wasn't there then. That didn't work out the way I wanted. And if you just take a little time to look in your father's face, he's smirking at you, and he'll give you an answer if you'll talk. Talk to him. Really? Really, Dad? Really, baby? Oh, wow. I'm going to live through this now. I I can live again. Because I'm finding out there is a purpose in it. There's a reason. There's an answer. Now, Dad said, let me tell you what to do, baby. When you get ready to eat your chocolate, and I don't want you to eat more than one a day, okay? Make it last. You pick up the piece that you're going to eat, and you take your little tiny pinky finger. Some of you are laughing because you do that. And you stick it right there in the bottom, and you peek in there. And if it's orange, bumpy stuff, Throw it away. No. Just put it back. Put it back. Yeah. Just put it right back in the box. Okay, Daddy. See, a child doesn't question. Except you become as a child, you'll not enter in. Quit questioning. Okay, Dad. I, I, I thought he was going to take them. I thought Dad was going to say, well, now let me go put these in a safe place. Because, <laughs> you know, he, he told me to eat one a day, but you know how kids are. I'm six. I was amazed when my dad said, now, I'm going to let you keep your chocolates. 
but I want to know where you're going to put them. Okay, Dad. I lifted up the other side, the pillow on the other side of my bed. I'm going to put them in my secret place. There was my lucky rabbit's foot and my rock collection and my seashell from Key West, Florida and my coin from Africa and my box of chocolates. Now dad knows where the secret place is. (laughs) Everybody needs a secret place. That nobody else knows anywhere where it is or anything about it. See, your secret place is the place that you go away alone with God. Some of you are having trouble walking with God because you live from service to service. And let me tell you, in this end time, it's not going to be enough. You're going to fall by the wayside. You got to have a secret place that only you and your dad knows where it is. And it doesn't matter if it's by the couch or in the office or in the car or where it is. But the place that you steal away with God and you and he commune together. You know why it's called secret? Because that's where you tell him all your secrets. There are things that all of us have done, have thought, have been a part of that we wouldn't want anybody to know. And so we we have to keep that all in here until we walk to an altar and give it to the Lord. And then guess where all that goes? In that secret place where he's already forgiven and forgotten. And you don't have to worry about it anymore. It's covered by the blood. It's like it didn't happen. Some of you have trouble forgiving yourself for what you did when you were a teenager. Listen, get it in the secret place. Confess it. Turn it over to him. Then nobody knows about it. But you, well, you and him. No, you. Because in the secret place, he chooses to forget. Some of you don't have a secret place. Daddy, it's right here. Here's my secret place. Well, I'm going to come back there. And that's where I'm going to pull out my chocolates. That's where I'm going to stick my little finger in. And and I'm going to partake of the good things in prayer. That's where we come. And we share the great things with God that's happening in our life. We thank him. We bless him for all the blessings. Oh, when the money's coming in, we bless him. When people are in good health, we bless him. That secret place, you enjoy all the good Hershey's. And then come comes the, the orange bumpy stuff because it's going to come. And what you do with that in the secret place, you say, God, I can't handle this. This is too much. There have been too many things. Big things. I don't, I don't want to mention big things, but we've had four windshields in a year. We're on the fourth one right now. It's cracked all the way across and starting up towards the camera. Four. And we've been backed into twice in a month. What, you people can't drive? No, when you live in your car like we do, 60,000 miles in a, a year. 60,000 miles in a year, that's crazy. We're preaching the gospel in the car. We just run in here long enough to say something and then get back in the car. That's orange bumpy stuff. I had to take this one. This one, the last one happened at the campgrounds area in a, in a, in a Walmart. Don't go to Walmart. Always things happen at Walmart. <laughs> and I, I, I just want to tell you something. I got, I got a little mad. 
People that know me know I don't get mad. I don't have madness. But when that person backed out of that space and I heard Cruncho again, we just got a new door put on it two weeks ago. That's orange bumpy stuff. And it took a minute for me to remember that, you know what? I just got to put that back. That's a little thing in the whole scope of life. It might take you a minute, but you need to wrap your head around what's going on, small or large, and use the same process every time. Get in the secret place. Go to your place of prayer. Put it back. Say, Lord, I don't want nothing to do with that. This is painful. This hurts. This is not a happy thing. This is orange bumpy. But Lord, I trust you. (laughs) I trust you (laughs) in the good times and the bad. I trust you when we're having full-blown revival. I trust you. But when the seats are empty, I trust you. I trust you in sickness. I trust you in health. I trust you in wealth. I trust you when I'm in poverty. I trust you no matter what. Will you come and play the keyboard? Give them some hope. (laughs) I trust you. The secret place. Kids always have a secret place, a hiding place. I used to play hide and seek with the neighborhood kids. And I had a place. It It was a water thing where the water man came out and took your water reading. But it had a big tin thing down over top of it. And there was a little window cut out where he could read through that little window. But I figured out a way to get that thing to come up all the way up. And I'd crawl under that. Oh, with the spiders and spider webs and the dirty grass and leaves. Why? Because it was more important to me to hide. I didn't care what was in there. I just need to hide. And I'd get in that hiding place. We had a big old tree in the backyard. And the deal when you played hide and seek was somebody counted. Ready or not, here I come. And then they start looking for you. They're looking all the normal places. But I'm under that place where nobody wants to go. There's buds and everything under there. But I I just want to be hidden. Nobody can find me. There were times they're all looking for me. They've all given up. Nobody can find me. And I'd make sure nobody was watching. When I'd climb out from under that tin thing and let it back down. And I'd run and tag the tree. Home! Everybody looking for me. I'm home. Where were you? Not telling. Because I was in the secret place. I don't want anybody to know about my secret place. There are things I've been through in life that if I didn't have a secret place, Brother Brown, I wouldn't be here. But I had a secret place. And even when it was buggy and scary, (laughs) I knew the Lord would be there. Some of you just need a prayer life. You'll start winning souls when you get a prayer life. You'll have boldness to teach Bible studies when you start praying. You'll forgive the Lord for things you've held against Him when you start getting in the secret place. And that old nasty orange bumpy stuff. I just put it back. Daddy told me to. 
You come to an altar and you lay it right here. There have been times that my kids have been straying from God. And I laid them right here. Lord, I don't know where they are, but you do. I don't know what they're doing, but you do. And I, I left it there. It's too big for me to carry. I'd be in the hospital. But I found the secret place. I found out how to put it back. I came in one day from school. I'd been getting that box out and getting one every day. Sticking my little pinky in. and Boy, I found out I'm, I liked almost all of them. <laughs> Except the orange cream, the strawberry cream. I don't, I don't like those. Especially orange cream and nuts. <laughs> but man, most of life is really great. <laughs> if you're not careful, you'll miss all the great things God does. Focusing on one little nasty piece. <laughs> and now the box is almost empty. And I know that today is going to be my last piece. And I pull it out from under the pillow. And I sit in the middle of the bed again and take the lid off. And that wonderful aroma. Our praise, our worship is a fragrance in his nostrils. When I speak his name, when I talk to the Lord, it doesn't matter what it sounds like. You don't have to sound like anybody else. Your own words. It's like a sweet fragrance. You ever think about how the devil is the prince and power of the air. That's what the Bible says. So when I pray out loud, that's why we don't just stand like this. Nothing goes in to the airways like that. But when I use my voice and I begin to praise, I begin to cry out, I begin to say the name of Jesus. The prince and power of the air is holding his ears. It's echoing out through the world. It doesn't stop in these four walls. It doesn't stop in your prayer room. It echoes out through the world. It it echoes out of this building, all through this city of Watertown, all over South Dakota. When the church begins to pray, We permeate the airwaves. Why do you think the pastors try to get you to worship? Because the kingdom of darkness comes down. As we worship. As we pray. When I opened that box of chocolates that last time and I knew that they were all the ones that I put my finger in and they were all what I didn't want and what I didn't want in my life. When I went back that last time, much to my surprise, it was empty because my dad had eat anything (laughs) and he didn't believe in waste. My dad would say, waste not, want not. He didn't believe in wasting things. And your heavenly father does not waste one thing you're going through. It's for a purpose. The sooner you learn it, accept it. The sooner things turn around. Some of you hadn't learned your lesson yet. Acceptance. 
Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Not my will. I don't want four broken windshields. Thy will be done. I don't want to be betrayed. Thy will be done. I don't want my kids to stray away from God. Thy will be done. You've got promises to lean on today. You're, You're not taking advantage of the promises. Because he's working all things for your good. All you have to do today is bring your heart to Jesus. Repent of your sins. Tell him you're sorry for trying to figure out things by yourself. And lift your hands and begin to thank him. And he will fill you. Either for the first time or refill you with his presence. Once you are filled all the way up to here, there's strange words that come to your mind. The Bible calls it speaking with other tongues. That means in another language. You just move your mouth and let those words right out. You see, you not only have a secret place, but you have a secret code language. A secret language between you and Jesus. Nobody can hear what you're saying. Nobody can tell what you're talking to him about. There's no interpreter when you're talking alone with the Lord. It's just you and him. How cool is that? And you can say things that you don't even know what you're saying. But he knows. He hears. And again, it goes out into the airwaves where the prince and power of the air is so angry because he doesn't know what you're saying. He doesn't know what God's getting ready to do. Hallelujah. I'm telling somebody today, just put it back. Just simply put it back. And when you least expect it, all all of a sudden you come in, you check the box and it's empty. He took care of it. He answered. You got that job. He healed your body. He answered when you weren't even looking. Just like he's going to fill the church. Just like he's going to pour out his spirit in these new churches started. Just like he's going to pour out his spirit all over this city and the state of South Dakota. It's going to be when you least expect it. You just keep putting it back. It's not your problem. It's his problem. You just keep laying it back there. Lord, I'm asking you again. Here it is. I can't fix this, but you can. I can't do this. No man comes unless you draw them. Don't make things your problem that are God's problem. I'm closing. I was standing in an altar in a church where over 20 children had been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's very unique because their moms or their dads, one or the other, were in a prison release program. And the church had been approved to teach the prisoners on Tuesday nights at church a special class. And the families were allowed to come and eat a meal with them that the church provided. And then the moms and dads would go to an upstairs classroom and be taught about the Lord. 
They asked me to come that night. They let the children run and play in the gym and they would teach them a Sunday school lesson and feed the children. But that night they said, will you minister to the children? I had all of these children in this room from four to teenagers. And when I ministered, they began to weep in their seats. The power of God began to fall. And over 20 of them were speaking with other tongues. And when I say speaking with other tongues, they were shaking under the power of the Holy Ghost. Some of them were laid out on the floor, talking in tongues, broken homes, moms and dads on drugs, one of their parents in prison that they only see once a week. You talk about broken kids. Sometimes the only way the Lord gets our attention is when brokenness comes to us. Oh yeah, they, they weren't they weren't turning a deaf ear. They were hanging on to every word. When people need hope, they hang on to every word. The power of God was all over that room and the parents began to file out of that class and I watched them leaning over the banister looking down at their kids shaking under the power of the Holy Ghost laying out all over the floor. Some of them running the aisles. The teenagers, not a dry eye. Every one of them weeping and talking in tongues. Not to make it about me, but for the sake of the story, I was going through the worst trial of my life. I really didn't want to be there. Not everybody that ministers has a perfect life. If anything, we're a bigger target. And boy, was I targeted. (laughs) Wasn't the first time I was targeted, but it was the worst time. I stood there that night and I didn't want to be there. I I ministered out of my guts. I ministered out of my pain. I just wanted to hurry and get to the room. I already said I won't be fellowshipping after church because I couldn't stop crying. And I stood over to the side and marveled at what God did when I just took the orange stuff and put it back and said, you're going to have to do this service, Lord, because there's nothing in me. I have nothing left. And I found out when there's less of me, there's more of him. And I'm standing over to the side just sobbing and weeping. And they have a big treasure chest and they roll it out. And they let the kids come and get a big toy out of that chest. And I'm standing there weeping and crying. And there's a little tiny six-year-old boy that got the Holy Ghost. And he came running for his prize. They said, you can come get a toy. I mean, these were big toys, nice stuff they would give these children. And when I was standing to the side, he screeched. I'll never forget because his tennis shoes screeched on that gym floor. He stopped so abruptly in front of me. And he said, ma'am, God is with you. And I said, well, thank you. God is with you. You got the Holy Ghost. Jesus moved in your heart. You know, when you're used to ministering, you just turn it back around. Jesus filled you with the Holy Ghost. You're going home with Jesus in your heart. And he said, that's not what I mean. And he went like this. I mean, God is with you. He said, I just want you to know there's a big, tall, yellow thing behind you. And I think it's God. And every time you point your finger, it's hands over top of yours. And every time you touch the kid on the head, it's hand was over top of yours 
ma'am, God is with you. Sir, God is with you. You're not alone. A glimpse into the supernatural would tell every one of us today. God is with you. Can you trust him?